your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome inside the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan coming to you from the heart of enemy territory in downtown Toronto. I'm alongside Brandon Piller up in Collingwood. We just finished listening to Pierre Dorian's press conference, his first time speaking to the media in three months. We won't mention that the Sens' official Twitter account had nothing to say, nor did the Sens' social team when called upon for a question. Nope, we won't, but we will dive into all the answers that Pierre Dorian had, and we'll also get back to our Send Central draft rankings. We're in the mid-40s. We've got two players on this list for today that we love. We'll let you know who they are. And part two of our interview with Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. We get into all sorts of Sens prospect talk and a little tease at who the Sens could pick at number 28. All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast. Your team every day. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd. We are 13 days away from the National Hockey League draft, and Pierre Dorian was asked about that and a whole lot more in his first press conference in a long, long time. Pilsy, what did you learn from Dorian's talk? Well, the most information he really gave uh, had to do with goalies, right? Um, He addressed the past goalie situation, the present goalie situation, and the future one. Which one do you want to hit on first here, Ross? Let's go with the past because I think that's most known. We already knew the Sens really weren't going to bring Craig Anderson back, but talk about an illustrious career. First in Senators history and wins. He's right up there in playoff wins. He was an elite member of both the 2017 run and although it was cut short the Hamburglar run was done after game two in Montreal honestly that 2015 playoff series he was ridiculous ridiculous and we got to see a lot of that from Craig Anderson I love the old school aspect of his game he's very hybrid not so much a a butterfly goalie so in terms of entertainment he brought it every night off ice great guy and really where do you think his number belongs is it in the ring of honor or right up into the rafters beside Daniel Alfredson and Chris Phillips. Well, I'm not sure you retire Craig Anderson's number. I think maybe if he, if they go all the way and they win the cup in 2017, then you think about it a little bit more, but I don't think he did quite enough to get that honor, but that's no knock on him at all. I think the ring of honor would be the perfect spot for him easily. The best goalie the senators have ever had in their entire franchise Um, he's been there through it all, through the long playoff runs, through the tough seasons we just had. Happy trails to Craig Anderson, and if this is it for his hockey career, damn, it's been a pretty incredible career for for a guy who came a long way. Going through the draft twice, actually. He was drafted in 1999 and then again in 2001. So he's come a long way to get to where he's at, and he was one hell of a senator. Not only the draft did he do twice, he also went through waivers twice early in his career before being picked up ultimately and getting a name for himself in the NHL first with Florida, also with Colorado, where uh, then Brian Murray, sends GM, saw that potential and really thought he could stabilize the net in Ottawa. And that's exactly what Craig Anderson did for nine seasons. And man, you just have to tip your hat to the way that he's handled the last few, like, 
coming in as a rebuilding team in 2017, well, not knowingly starting, but you look at overall what he's had to go through is, is insane. Stopping as many shots as he has since that playoff run, you know that he's, he's like right up there in shots against every single game that he played. And man, he did a great job. How many 40 plus saves did he, did he have in Ottawa in the last few years? Really no defense to be seen in front of him. So stick taps to Anderson, but as the old tendies move on, new ones come in and Pierre Dorian was asked with all the rumors coming out about looking to acquire, is it Matt Murray? Is it Darcy Kemper? The Senators, man, depth. And quality is what Pierre Dorian said about the Sens goaltending system. And how do you like the first name he mentioned? Joey Decord. The plan was to start him in the East Coast League. He moves up to the AHL, never goes back. He is the goalie of the future, as you know here on the Locked On Senators podcast. We feel that way. But could one of these kids have to step up to the NHL right away? Well, we also learned that goalie Anders Nielsen has not skated yet. That has to be a concern. We know he passed his baseline test, but man, you got to get on the ice if you're going to play again at the at the highest level in the world. But the key takeaway there, Ross, is yeah, he hasn't skated, but they're planning on him being ready for when the season starts, whenever that is. So that's interesting for a couple of reasons because A, it means their interest in trading for a goalie probably isn't very high. They'd have to get a pretty good deal or a guy that they see in a long-term role if they're going to go that route, in my mind, from what how Dorian was talking. And I'm praying that he's going to be all right to start the season because I think truly the right move is to go Nielsen-Hogberg here, let Gustafson and Decord battle it out in, the, in Belleville, and then come trade deadline. You can trade Nielsen, hopefully, and then let just Hogberg and whoever wins the battle between Decord and Gustafson, I'm leaning Decord, um, can finish the season off. So I think you don't want to give away too many assets for a rental goalie. And the Sens just aren't in need of a true number one starter right now. And they have enough depth in their organization that you should give one of these guys a chance to grab the spot. The one thing he did say, though, on Nielsen, too, was that he would still consider him the only injured player on the team. The goalie coach, Pierre Grew, has been in discussions with him, but as I mentioned, has not been on the ice. Bruce Garriock asked if teams have been more engaged as playoffs gone on. He says that he got calls as soon as GMs left the bubble, knowing that they didn't like the way their season ends and wanted to make a trade. Kevin Weeks, by the way, speaking of one of the teams that's making a lot of moves, Pittsburgh looks like they're going to trade Patrick Hornquist to Florida in exchange for Matt Math- Mike Matheson and a contract that is, woo-wee, makes Nikita Zaitsev's look like nothing uh, when you look long-term there. But getting back to the press conference, no news on the RFAs. Classic Dory Online. Put that one on your bingo sheet. I don't negotiate through the media. Obviously, looks like Boro will test free agency. I'd be shocked. If he gets put back in Ottawa, says the Sens are going to look internally instead of externally among free agents to fill the roster. And another interesting thing was Ian Mendez asking about the philosophy around the number five pick. Do you draft for need or do you draft best player available? I think we're on the same page as Dorian, aren't we? That uh, you bet you draft the best player available no matter what. When, when you're in the top five of picks, you can't really go too much for positional need because if you miss out on a generational talent just because you didn't have a right shot defenseman in your roster that year, it, that's a huge mistake. So yeah, Pierre Dorian, keeping his cards close to his chest, that's fine. 
you know, you don't want to say too much. And we're going to find out all of this very, very soon. Well, if you're drafting on need in the top five, I don't think a left-hand shot defenseman is the guy. But if you are taking best player available, it might be Jake Sanderson. Haley Salvian from The Athletic asked if the team is not only aware, but if they like the fact that Jake Sanderson looks like he might, could maybe be paired with already sends prospect JBD at North Dakota. I thought that it was interesting. Dorian said, that's a great question and followed up by saying they are well aware of who their prospects are playing with. Do you think that was at all a tip of the hat, a tip of the hand by Dorian that they do really like Jake Sanderson? I don't think it's a secret anymore though, right? Like I, I don't think he's tipping his hand much because that's something we already know. I don't think Haley asked that question if she doesn't already know the connection between the Sens and UND and that the Senators have already talked to Jake Sanderson twice. So it's very apparent, but I don't know. I don't want to, I, I love Jake Sanderson, so I'm not saying it because of his particular player fro- profile, but I don't want the Sens to get too attached to this whole idea of, having uh, D partners in UND because that was a bit of a whoops daisy with Tyconic and JBD too, right? So I don't know. I don't know if that's really the the number one aspect you should be looking at. Uh, they're trying to save money on flights for scouts, I guess. Maybe that's what you want to do. But yeah, regardless of where Jake Sanderson plays, I think he, he's an incredible prospect that the Sens should be looking at as they already are. Yeah, final note from that. Speaking of the draft, it looks like there, there is no chance of a development camp after the draft like some would uh, or well what would happen during normal times he mentions that you wouldn't want to take players out of school and the ones that are already playing out of Europe makes a lot of sense there but that if they do end up getting that extra week of training camp maybe the Sens add another week for their rookies to come in earlier so that they can all get acquainted so super weird times but still the NHL draft coming up in a hurry that was our takeaways from Pierre Dorian's press conference here and now let's move into draft talk and system talk we mentioned goalies with Pierre we don't get into that with Scott Wheeler we get into a lot of forward talk talking Drake Batherson Vitalia Bramov Alex Formanton and what could the Sens do at number 28 if they do choose to go with a defense and we'll get to all that but first we got to tell you about our friends at Built Bar you know it as the protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar and it comes in amazing selection of flavors 16 to be exact eight have chocolate and nuts eight are chocolate and nut free what's the common denominator yep they are 100 covered in chocolate they're soft they're easy to chew and they're great for the health conscious guy as well you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in this delicious treat the bars are everything you want from a nutritional standpoint low in calorie low in sugar high in protein and high in fiber builtbar.com is where you can go to see all the flavors available but we like to narrow it down for you here on the locked on senators podcast which is when we get to pilsy's pick of the week ross i'm fired up for this pick of the week from built bar fall is officially here you want to know why built bar has declared it a brand new flavor this ain't this ain't your normal 16 flavors that you can choose from we got a new limited time release flavor Pumpkin chocolate chip cookie, 100% satisfaction, 100% guilt-free, real chocolate, that pumpkin flavor that you love in the fall, and who doesn't love some cookie dough in there too? So that's your pick of the week, pumpkin chocolate chip cookie. Get it while they have it, while supplies last. This one's going to sell out real quick. 
Oh, man, that sounds so good. I'm going to go crack open a Built Bar right now. And then when I come back, I'm going to get to Scott Wheeler's interview. But where do you get those Built Bars? You go to BuiltBar.com, put in the promo code Locked On right now, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Perfect time to try Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. All right, let's get to part two of our chat with Scott Wheeler. You look at what's coming up because of all the departures, there's pieces added. I know you love some of the prospects in the system, yeah. but who do you have as number one? This is a pro Drake Batherson podcast, it's a friend of the show, but uh, we'll let you have your own opinion either way. Oh man, uh, they've got, honest to God, and, and I know this. you guys are going to be thrilled by this, but they've got uh, half a dozen sort of upper echelon prospects at this point, and that's obviously without adding two top five picks here. So I'm a big, 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 big believer in Drake Batherson. Drake has got to be the most underrated prospect in the world right now. He firmly belongs in a sort of conversation when you talk about the best prospects outside of the NHL, particularly at forward. You, you get past the Trevor Zegerses and the Cole Caulfields, et cetera, and you get into that second tier. And he, and he belongs in that second tier. There's no question about it, despite the fact that he's a little bit on the older side and he's 22 now, and despite the fact that he's been around a little bit longer and he wasn't a top pick. He has established himself at virtually every level. I think once he should get more time this year, but if, he, if they can play him on the, on, even on the second power play unit and in the top nine for a full sort of 60, 70 games, I think you'll see him close to half a point per game as as a sort of rookie. I know he's not really a rookie per se anymore, but in, in a sort of full role, I think you could see him challenge 40, 45 points, maybe even 50 points if he's on the top power play unit. And, and he's not going to be a true star on the team. I don't think he's ever going to rise to the sort of importance of these top two picks or the importance of a Thomas Shabbat or the importance of a Brady Kachuk. But I think you need players who can be that sort of future sort of 55, 60 point guy, that sort of middle of the roster, upper echelon player. And maybe he's not an all-star, but he, he might have a year or two throughout his career where he sort of works his way into that conversation and that kind of a thing. So I think that's the level of player that you can expect Drake to become. And that's a darn good player. Every contending team needs those sort of fifth best players on their team to be impactful guys and, and rise to an occasion and that kind of a thing. And I think that's where you'll see Drake sort of slot in. So he's certainly there. I'm, I'm still high on Eric Brandstrom. I think Brandstrom's going to be a stud, but you look up and down the, up and down the sort of what's coming. Alex Formentin has exceeded my expectations. Vitaly Abramov has been my favorite prospect for the last four or five years. And he's a kid who I still believe in. Obviously, Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker will see. It's still a little early on both those kids, but I think you could see those kids sort of slot into that sort of four to five range on a team and and play regular minutes at even strength, be options on the penalty kill for you, and maybe not be power play guys per se, but still contribute in their own way. Lassie's got a huge shot, so he's going to be able to score some goals from the point. JBD is is a sort of reliable, versatile offensive player in his own way. So I think there's a lot coming, and then obviously Shane Pinto, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a very deep pool as it is. It's one of the deeper pools in the league. They don't have, again, that star prospect. They don't have a Dylan Cousins. They don't have a Cole Caulfield. Um, as good as Batherson and Brandstrom in particular could become, they're not that type of sort of high-level prospect. But you're going to add that at three and five. So suddenly you're going to have easily one of the sort of two or three best prospect pools in the world. And then hopefully you go from there and hopefully uh, management and 
everybody else involved really from ownership on down are willing to pay these kids as, as they come up and as they enter their second contracts, because I think that's going to be key in, in terms of keeping that group together. I agree with a lot of things you said there, Scott, and I'm glad as sense fans, I feel like we're always preaching that our prospect pool is better than what people give it credit for just because we're missing those coveted gem star pieces. Like you mentioned, uh, Ross and I, we've worked in Belleville with the video production crew the last two seasons. So we've got to see a lot of those guys that you were mentioning. And one guy you touched on that I want to get your opinion on more, as you said, he was one of your favorite prospects, Vitalia Bramov. He kind of gets <laughs> shuffled under the deck a little. He doesn't get noticed as often, but Man, when this guy's on his game, he can be just absolute flashes of brilliance. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've seen? Like you mentioned, you've been watching it for a long time. What you've seen since you started watching Abramov to where you see him projecting now. And I want to ask as well, Scott, is, has he always had that chip on his shoulder? Because he'll get in and, and mm-hmm. be a little dirty with his stick. I love that in a player. Yeah, Abramov is, I mean, Abramov is, honest to God, probably the prospect, other than Travis Konechny back in the day, probably the prospect I've watched more than anyone since I've been doing this. I've been covering wow. the NHL draft and prospects. This will, The 2021 draft will be my eighth year doing this. And I went to journalism school in Ottawa. So covering the 67s and the Gatineau Olympiques was kind of my, my home base. Um, so I, I, I would see on any given year that they played 30 plus home games in Gatineau and I would see 15 to 20 of them. So that meant seeing Abramov probably 50 times throughout his junior hockey career, including the playoffs. And Abramov became a real favorite of mine. And part of that was my exposure to him. But uh, when I did my draft ranking during Abramov's draft year, he was in the 20s for most of my draft year. I thought he had a chance to be a late first round pick. He obviously fell uh, into the 60s. But he was a kid when, when Columbus moved on from him as quickly as they did, I was pretty surprised just because I think, A, his puck skill is virtually unmatched. I mean, the things that that guy can do off the rush, sort of on the heel of his blade, on the toe of his blade, off of his backhand, when, when he is given the leash to try and make plays and try and manufacture offense, he's a dynamic, dynamic one-on-one player. And players in the QMJHL used to marvel at the things that he could do with the puck in terms of playing in traffic, playing through his legs, making those little sort of high skill plays that wow you. And then he's also, as you kind of mentioned, a, a little bit of a feisty kind of prick out there sometimes. So, and, and not all the time, he can kind of wander in a game and, and he's not as physical at, at times as, as you would like him to be. But when he's moving his feet, when he's in on the forge check and when he's being kind of pesky, he's a ton of fun to watch because then he's involved when he doesn't have the puck. And when he does have the puck, you know that he can make things happen. So I, I've always felt with Vitaly that he was kind of a boomer bust, bust prospect. He's going to have to play in a top nine role. He's going to have to play in the power play. He's going to have to be a guy on his line where the other players kind of revolve around him rather than the reverse. I don't think he's a complimentary type. So you want him to be getting a lot of touches. You want him to be involved. You want him to be feeling good about himself. You want to be pumping his tires a little bit, I think. And this year, I think, will be really interesting for him because, A, it's a do-or-die season. If, if he doesn't put it all together this year and carve out a niche, the Sens may also give up on him, especially with the other prospects that they have coming. And B, I think last year he kind of got lost in the shuffle because Fermentin and Norris and some of these other players were getting so much shine in Belleville. This year, I think Norris is going to make the jump. I think Alex has a really good chance of making the jump. And if those two kids are gone in Belleville and Vitaly doesn't make the team out of camp, then suddenly Vitaly's back in Belleville and he has a chance to be kind of the guy a little bit more. 
and, and especially on the power play and that kind of a thing. So if he goes back and he puts up 25 points in 27 or 28 sort of AHL games, if you will, like if he, I'm not sure he's going to be over a point per game, but if he can kind of challenge for point per game and Vitaly can really grab hold of an offensive role, then suddenly the Sens may have no choice. So I think that's the position he's in is he just has to give them no choice and say, look, you guys need to play me in a prominent role and see what you have in me because time's running out on his clock and that kind of a thing. But Vitaly is, I mean, people who, who are listening, who followed my work for a long time, they'll know I've, I've, it's kind of become a meme almost that Vitaly's my favorite prospect in the world. So he, I'm a big fan and I don't want to give up hope on him at this point. So we'll see. He, he's a ton of fun to watch when he's on and he, he can kind of drift a little and, and there are games where you can come away a little disappointed with his effort and how consistently he was involved. But when, when, he's, when he's got the puck, he's a ton of fun to watch and he can do things that a lot of players can't. So Looking forward to seeing what he does with it, and then hopefully he can really grab hold for all of the sends in this sort of next generation for the team. Yeah, we want to see that as well. We also love what we've seen from Alex Formanton, a guy who you said, Alex, uh, uh, with Abramov, has to knock the door down. Well, that's what Formanton did in his first season as yep. a second rounder, getting to stay with the big club and then making the team out of camp a second season in a row. How far ahead of Abramov is Formanton? And do you think that there is a clear discrepancy in projection for the two of those guys? Well, I think they're, they're definitely different kind of players. Obviously, Formington, my worry for a long time with Alex was that as his career progressed, was he going to be gifted enough offensively to be able to play more than a sort of checking fourth line penalty kill role where he creates the odd breakaway? Like, could he be more than that Michael Grabner type who just skates really fast? gets in on the four check, makes the odd play, creates on the odd breakaway, but is ultimately kind of a depth piece who's a penalty killer. And I think what we saw last year, and I, I do think part of it could have been exaggerated because that Belleville team did surround him with so much talent and he was playing with really good players. So maybe there's an element of maybe he wasn't quite as talented as, as, as he looked per se. But I think what happened with Alex was he showed that he could hang with those guys. Like he could stick around with a Josh Norris. He could sort of exceed expectations and play better than players like Logan Brown and, and Abramov at the AHL level. And he could, he could sort of slot on the power play potentially and that kind of a thing. So Alex is, I, I think, still think his, his floor is so much higher than Vitaly's because right. even if his floor is as a fourth line or, or even a third line sort of complementary piece, you know that he can do that role. You know that with his ability to skate, that he's probably the fastest player on the ice at any given time and that that gives him some value in a few different ways. So I think he's, he, he's a pretty safe bet at this point, Alex, just given what he showed last year that he had a little bit more offense than maybe I expected. Whereas Vitaly is uh, still, despite being a little bit older than Alex, a, a little bit more of a question mark. That's a tough debate for sure. And there's a lot of uh, debates in the Senators' current prospect pool that two guys are really fighting for one spot or there's yeah. not a lot of spots left once this draft is done. And uh, the 13 draft picks that the Ottawa Senators have in the 2020 draft become a part of this new prospects pool. So I want to transition to that. And look, we've talked about picks three and five so many damn times. Uh, we're just going to skip over that. And let's head to the third first round pick that the Senators have because then you're not really waiting so much to see what LA and Detroit does. You get a little more range here. So let's assume that the Senators take two forwards with, with picks three and five. Who they are doesn't matter. We won't get into that. But they're going to look to take a D-man with the 28th overall pick. Who in that range for defensemen do you think the Senators should target? Well, I think what's interesting about this draft for me is that you've got the two defensemen who are going to be gone early. You're probably going to see Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale gone in that sort of six to 10 range, if you will. 
And then after that, I, I think this draft sort of cracks open where you could, you could, you could make an argument for six, seven, eight defensemen in that kind of late teens to the, to the sort of early thirties range. So in that range, the, the sense will kind of be in the back half of that range, but in that range for that pick. And when I look at who's likely to be there, Caden Gooley, who's, who's with this sort of towering, beautiful skater, which are, is a combination that we don't often see together, will likely be gone. Braden Schneider, who's this sort of veteran, sort of lockdown two-way defenseman, will likely be gone. So you, if, if those two guys are gone and you've got Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale who are gone, suddenly it's, it's a little bit more of an eclectic group, if you will. It's, it's some smaller defenders. It's some defenders who may not have the kind of pop. It's some defenders with some warts. So I look at Helge Grams in that, in that range out of Sweden, a, a big kid who can move and created a point-per-game level in Super League th- this year, which is very rare, especially for a kind of six-foot-three defender. But Helge's got some warts defensively. He doesn't have the sort of polish that you would hope for a kid at this age who's kind of played at that level. He may not get the kind of SHL minutes this year that a top prospect or a first-round prospect probably deserves to get. So if that stuns his development, there's some question marks there because you want to see him playing more, and I'm not, I'm just not sure he's going to get minutes in the SHL. So Grands is a, is a fascinating one just because the raw package in terms of a six foot three defender who can move and has a lot of offensive gifts, that's exciting, especially at the sort of end of the first round, if you will. So he's a player that I would definitely consider there. The, the Sens haven't been shy to go this sort of Swedish route over the last sort of five to six years. So he's a player that I would definitely keep an eye on. And then there are a couple of smaller defenders that I think deserve some real recognition in that range. One is a kid named Jeremy Poirier, who is probably the most controversial player in this draft and who's probably going to slip into the second round. But if, if the Sens feel comfortable taking a risk, he's a kid that I would really look to target. He plays on the team that Thomas Shabbat played on in St. John. So they've gone that route. It's some of the sort of criticisms of him are some of the criticisms that, that were had of Thomas Shabbat, quite frankly, at the same age. Obviously, I'm not saying he's going to be Thomas Shabbat because he won't. But Poirier is a kid with a lot of offensive tools who can really skate and who plays like a forward. So he, he's got just ridiculous skill and, and probably a top 10, top 15 pure skill set with a put with the puck on his stick in this draft. So Poirier is a kid who, who's kind of always been in that kind of 20 to to 25 range for me and I think if he's there you have to consider him and then the other kid is uh, a little bit on the on the reverse but same kind of size sort of debate both of them quite frankly are is Lucas Cormier and Emil Andre Andre's a kid who again probably going to slip because he's five foot nine into the second round but has had a brilliant like I'm talking brilliant start to the season in Sweden this year since the restart here and he, he has been a star for HV 71 which wasn't really expected he was one of the best players in the super elite their junior level last year but there were questions about whether he would be able to make the transition to the pro level this year and he has established himself as one of their top six defenders on, on a pretty good HV 71 team so Andre's a kid that I would definitely consider there he's a little bit on the smaller side but he's stout like he's one of those sort of big physical kids like think of like a Jared Spurgeon uh, Matt Dumbo one of those players who who may not be six foot two six foot three but has some some sort of muscle to him and isn't afraid to use it so Andre is a kid I would I would look at there and then Lucas Cormier out of Charlottetown is another kid who again five nine five ten five eleven these kind of smaller defensemen but he plays a, a more reserved style than someone like Poirier does and has still produced at a at a first round level so there's some very very gifted players there but they all come with some risk the smaller kids obviously due to size come with some risk despite first round talent 
And then Grams, the other kid that I mentioned, despite being 6'3 and having a lot of skill, definitely has some kinks to work on. So those are kids that you're probably looking at two, three years. You give them some time to develop, and then you sort of work with them. But the upside is, is definitely, definitely there. And you mentioned HV71. They've got another one, uh, defender, small in stature as well. Anton Johannesson was someone we just covered in our – we're counting down from 93. We actually took your rank as, as a part of it, not the ones mm-hmm. most recently, but March. We took you, Craig Button, Bob McKenzie, Cam Robinson, and the EP Draft Guide. And mm-hmm. because we're not scouts, we don't pretend to be, so we averaged out all six of your rankings, and yep. that's how we're counting down from 93. Well, I think that's a perfect place to leave it off for today. Tomorrow on part three, the final edition of Scott Wheeler on the Locked On Senators podcast. We'll get into all sorts of NHL draft projections. But first, Pilsy, as I mentioned to Scott, we've got to get back to our average draft rankings as we inch closer and closer to the first round. Today, we are starting out with pick number 43, and he comes in with an average ranking of 46.16 from the Vancouver Giants, Justin Surdif. Ross, this guy, you finished the season with a bang. His month in February, 17 points in 11 games. So I think he was trying to make up for probably a lackluster season for, for his uh, regards anyways. But he, he does a good job of finding space for opportunities. That's what I liked when I was watching highlights of him. He... He finds a space where he's going to have a lane to either make a pass or a shot. And he isn't afraid to go right at the defenseman and pull off some sort of deke to get around him, which I like that confidence. And then once he's around that defenseman and has that space, he's got a nice shot to finish. Like this guy can shelf it. And I saw a couple goals. One of my favorite ways to score a goal, a nice hard five-hole shot that just beats the goalie cleanly. So this guy's got a couple tools in his uh, toolkit here. Yeah, Scott Wheeler in his latest rankings mentioned that he wouldn't be surprised at all if he's near or at the top of the WHL scoring race in this upcoming season. You mentioned going in one-on-one battles with defensemen off the rush. Well, he uses his speed to do so. He's one of the faster players in this draft. And on his best days, his dominance is along the wall as well. That's where he can really be a dual threat. And I don't know if if he projects as much as a center at the next level that he plays the middle of the ice. Do you think his speed is going to allow him to stick at center? I think this is a guy you want on the wing, Ross. Uh, I do too. Yeah, just just the way he drives the lanes, like you said, can play the half walls. He's pretty sneaky with his takeaways. Uh, He can play the power play plus kill penalties. But I just think he's more he's better suited on the wing than at the center position in a pro level. He's under six feet just by a little bit. And he is um, the kind of player where you want to add a bit of bulk to him as well. He he has the physical tools, but only at 165 ish pounds right now. Um, As, as I mentioned with being a top player in the WHL, there's no way he's making the jump this year. I would say even two years might be a stretch, but after that, this guy seems like a guy who has a pretty high floor where even if he doesn't be, as good as he could, he's going to play NHL games. The biggest worry for me, Ross, is from the EP draft guide, a lot of their talk was his rookie season. They were so fired up about him. They thought he was going to absolutely explode onto the scene. Well, he was a third overall pick from the Bantam draft as well. So he hasn't just come onto the scene. He's been a a high-end player since he was young. Yeah, but they thought that progression was going to keep going. And from the scouts that watched him closely – 
it doesn't seem like that progression has has continued to climb. It's kind of plateaued, which a lot of them were worried and concerned about. So for me, I'm going to pass on a guy like Sordiff just because, look, if you're not working day in, day out, someone's getting better than you. And that's what it seems like with Sordiff here, that he's he's kind of comfortable with where he's at. Or not that he's comfortable, but th- this is it. This is his peak, which is fine. But for me, if you're picking a guy in the second round or in uh, the area that he's averaged in, in our rankings, I think you can go with a guy who has a little more drive, a little more hunger. That would be no surprise then that the EP draft guide at 54th has him lowest of our six scouts. Highest, Corey Pronman and Craig Button both having him at 39. So the range isn't as wide with him. It seems like, yeah, between 39 and 54 is where we'll see Surdiff go. And I would say that if he's available with the Dallas second round pick, which will either be 61st or 62nd, yeah, sure, go for it. But other than that, yeah, I would take a pass and um, I'm not going to say that much more today because there's a few more players I really like. You heard Scott Wheeler with us talking about Emil Andre, as we mentioned, defenseman available in that 28 range. Well, because Wheeler is higher on him than most, his average ranking is 44.67. He comes in at 42nd on our list. Now, I'm going to start this off with an easy question for you, Pilsy. How many five foot nine defensemen are there in the National Hockey League? Not a whole lot, uh, let's be honest. I mean, a couple guys come to mind. Uh, one that comes to mind immediately is a guy like Spurgeon. That's a smaller guy who can still get it done. But Corey Krug? Yeah, Krug. Yeah, uh, not a lot of NHL-caliber top defensemen in that height. I'll answer he plays, that. He plays hard, though. He plays physical. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's something that uh, – have you even introduced him yet? Our number – 42, Emil Andre. Yeah, I did the I did the rankings. I didn't maybe say the name. I, I mentioned Scott was talking about him, and, and Scott's super high on him. Scott has him at 15th in the March rankings. I think he moved back a couple spots, um, but still, he has him way higher. So he has him 15th. I'll re- we read these off, and then let me know what you think about him. No one else has him above 31st, and Bob McKenzie is the lowest on him, has him all the way down at 60 seventh so this one might be one of our most divisive prospects in our rankings i think 15 is very high Um, very high i would even say low 20s is pretty high for this guy i can think of a handful of defensemen that i've got ahead of him in my mind but for sake of uh, going over emil's profile here let's let's start and yeah five foot nine frame not doesn't jump out at you but he does play a lot harder than a five foot nine frame and the thing with uh, andre is He's very puck-focused, and he attacks so aggressively, which, look, that's a gift and a curse, right? Like, sometimes it's going to play out, and uh, the forward isn't going to be ready for that aggressive uh, check or hit, and you're going to separate the player from the puck. But the times that it doesn't work out, you're basically eliminating yourself from the play by being too aggressive if he gets around you, and then you're creating an odd-man rush the other way. So I'm not a huge fan of that style of play from a smaller guy just because – I don't know how much success he's going to have once players tower over him if he doesn't continue to grow and bulk up. But Ross, we spoke off air about this and you made a pretty good player comparable that made sense to me. He's already in the Sens system. Eric Branstrom. Exactly. Both HV71 products as well. And that's where I mentioned, like, I, I think this guy's going to be electric to watch wherever he does end up. But you already have a left shot, smaller, bulky, offensive-minded, risk-taking defenseman in Eric Brandstrom. I don't see why you'd need to double down on that part of your depth chart. Yeah, agreed. And I think where 
where Emil Andre does better in the physical part of the game. Certainly Brandstrom's not a physical player, but Brandstrom makes up for it with a better defensive game than Emil Andre has. I would say you could probably put them close to on par offensively. Man, Andre's got nice hands. He's got a good shot, but that aggressive style defensively, and it seems like from EP's um, reports that he has a tough time reading the play sometimes. So for me, I'll stick with Eric Brandstrom, and someone else can take Eric Brandstrom light in this draft. Emil Andre will be on SportsCenter, though. I will say that both yeah. offensively and when he is on the wrong end of a defensive play. So in a high event player, but one I think the Sen should stay away from, where I won't say about the next defenseman on our list, a little bit of a safer defenseman. Coming in at 41 on the Sen Central Draft Rankings, average rating 43.33 from the Sioux St. Marie Greyhounds. It's Ryan O'Rourke. I like Ryan O'Rourke a lot, Ross. And right away, a, a good sign for me seeing that C on his jersey. That's If you're a captain of your team, that's already a check mark in uh, my list because that's good leadership skills that's going to continue to grow, hopefully. And this guy is your prototypical stay-at-home defenseman. I think I, I don't want to hash it out again, but the idea of the Senators having six puck-moving defensemen up there not what I like. You need someone that's going to play a different style of game. And Ryan O'Rourke does that. And he does it at an elite level. From what I read, he was the top defenseman on that team too, playing upwards of 24 minutes in ice and ice time on average. He's the kind of guy that he's cool, calm, collected on the ice. He can make those long transition passes. He's patient with the puck. He's and J.D. Burke even talked about it in some of his game reports that he wrote on O'Rourke. He's the kind of guy where you don't notice him all night, and that's a good thing. That's he doesn't perfect. make Exactly. He doesn't make any silly mistakes. He doesn't try to wow you. He's a guy you can the coach can put over the boards every shift and be confident. He's going to get a good, hard-working shift out of him, and there's not going to be any massive mistakes. So Ryan O'Rourke, for me, is a guy that I would love the sense to target. You're going to see him on a first-unit PK as well at some point in his National Hockey League career, but it doesn't come at the expense of his offense. Still putting up 37 points, 30 of them assists, which speaks to Wheeler's analysis in his ranking, saying that not only is he a defensive catalyst for Sault Ste. Marie, but he has a very good stretch pass and first pass out of the zone, which is a different kind of offense than you'd see from Emil Andre, where it's more towing the blue line and deking out guys. For O'Rourke, it's all a high IQ game. It's it's being able to pick apart defenses on the rush, and I th- I just think he'd be a lovely pick with even that Columbus second rounder. Like that's right around where he's ranked here on on ours. I would love to see O'Rourke be a part of the Sens organization. In past rankings for defensemen, Ross, we have both kind of been like, look, we like this guy, but this is the second defenseman you pick. O'Rourke, this could be the first defenseman you pick. Like this, this is the type of defenseman where you take him and you're like, that's our best defenseman of this crop of picks. So the question, the question becomes offensively, what's his ceiling at the NHL level? Does that matter much to you? I mean, Pronman has him ranked lowest on our six scouts. 62nd overall but ep draft guide and you referenced jd burke's viewings of him all the way up at 28th as a first late first round pick i wonder who picks 28th actually hmm interesting Hmm. um but that's i think the offense isn't a big deal because you stick him with an offensive defenseman that complements him like do the sense have any of those yeah i'm not sure actually maybe we can check 
But um, he reminds me for a player comparable that I could use, maybe a Chris Phillips, right? Like with a little like more that. offensive upside, a little more offensive upside, a better passer than Phillips. But again, that, that quote, the kind of guy where you don't notice him all night and you're happy about it. I think that uh, O'Rourke is that guy. And if the Sens have a chance to draft him, I would jump on it. Left shot defenseman, 6'2", at 190 pounds. So a lot bigger than Andre as well. To close out today's rankings, it's a name you heard us say a couple days ago because he's been in the news. Coming in at 40th with an average ranking of 42nd, 42.6. It's Ridley Gregg. So he was in the news with Connor McLennan who came in a little bit earlier on our top 93 because the two of them signed overseas in a Swedish third tier league. Well, turns out the contracts weren't valid. They didn't end up playing, but he is still a very, very good prospect. I think he's a centerman plays for the Brandon Wheat Kings. What are your impressions on him, Pilsy? Well, first of all, I also like that he's playing in Brandon. I think that's uh, not just for the namesake, but I was listening to 31 Thoughts, the podcast, and Jeff Merrick was talking about the Brandon Wheat Kings, and he touted them as basically the London Knights of uh, the WHL. Just a, a great organization that works hard to develop their prospects and has really a good culture there. So I think that's a good start. And I like a lot of things about Ridley Gregg Ross. He has quick problem-solving abilities. He drives hard to the net for rebounds. He plays a physical game. He's he's just such a firecracker on the ice. Like that's how I describe him. I I love this style of guy for the Sens because they don't have a lot of them. I see him projecting as a bottom nine forward, but he's the kind of guy. And you saw Vegas do this a lot. Put out that uh, fourth line right away first line of the game and you get up tempo he is flying out of the gates he's gonna you know he's gonna get at least two hits on his first shift really bump that tempo up get the guys going I think he's a guy that if I don't know maybe a late second round pick you wouldn't want to use an early second round pick on him but a late one you could take him just to add a little a little bit of fire into your lineup Really? Because Bob McKenzie would disagree. Bob had him all the way up at 24th overall. He was the highest of our six rankings, whereas EP draft guide all the way down at 84. So talk about um, a situation where you have a big range. If we go the Olympic style, as I mentioned yesterday, where they take out the highest score and the lowest score, then you're looking at a very small range because Button has him 30th, Prodman 37, and Robinson 38. So it really puts it into that range. But as Pronman did say in his article, he's the kind of player who, if, if he's on your team, you're going to love to watch him. And if you're an opposing fan, you're going to hate him. So he seems like a perfect fourth line guy who can maybe play up on the third line because he does have some skill and elite hockey sense, I would say. He's really smart around the puck. But are you going to waste, not waste, are you going to use a second round pick on a guy whose top end projection is in your third line? I think you could you could use a late second round pick. Jeez, Ross, when you got four second round picks, you can start using that. You can start the value metrics work a little differently, right? So I think, yeah, he's not a guy that uh, you're anticipating is going to get plugged into the roster anytime soon. Fourth line guy that's eventually going to come up, and I think he's going to do wonders for a team. I, I feel like he's going to be a good chemistry guy too. Like those guys are always a lot of fun. It seems like they they get the boys going, and I think. If the Senators have a chance to take him late in the second round, they should go for it. They sure should. And if uh, Alan Millar, who's the GM of Canada's U18 team, if he had a scouting report on Greg, he said, I like his sense and skills a lot. Very competitive kid, strong two-way game. He's 5'11", 163 right now, but he is a mid-August birthday. So that is very late 
in this draft. He and Quentin Byfield, two of the youngest in that area. Uh, we're going to get into a lot more draft talk tomorrow with part three with Scott Wheeler. It's all NHL draft related. It's the longest part as well. We've been chopping it up, just breaking it into more listenable segments in terms of the topics at hand. And we wanted to end with the defenseman because we had two on our rankings. One we love, one not so much. Let him be somebody else's highlight real player. Uh, both ends of the ice, I should say. But for now, thank you for listening to the Locked On Senators podcast. Hope you enjoyed the Pierre Dorian presser. Hopefully, he, next time we see him, he has a huge smile on his face after the NHL draft. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.